the movie that we're looking at today is a movie called Eddie the Eagle. Uh, it is about a man named Michael Eddie Edwards. He competed in the 1988 Olympics. Uh, you may remember him from that, uh, the Calgary Olympics. I do, uh, from when I was a kid. And, uh, and we're gonna be looking at his story today. And it really is um, a, a challenging, interesting story because Eddie Edwards is, is an unlikely but very courageous British ski jumper. He never stopped believing in himself. Even as an entire nation was counting him out, uh, he continued to believe in himself and continued to pursue his dreams. And with the help of a rebellious and charismatic coach, Eddie st- uh, takes on the establishment and attempts the impossible in spite of what his critics have to say. I hate to disappoint you, but um, we haven't got an Olympic ski jumping squad. No, not even a small one. No. Uh. Last, uh, no, Britain hasn't had a ski jumper since oh, 1929. Here we go. Uh, Hector Mooney. Yes, yeah, with a distance of oh, 22.9 metres. <laughs> and there's no plans for a team in the near future? Well, not unless Mr Mooney comes out of retirement. But he died in 1975, so no. That is a shame. Where's my purple rucksack? Under the stairs. Thank you. What, are you going camping? No. Going to Germany. Coach leaving very soon. Wait. Better see you in Gil, Sam. Sorry, Dad, I've got to get on them slopes. Oh, no, not this again, no. Excuse me. Hang on, what am I going to tell your plastering teacher? Tell him I've made new plans. New plans? What plans? I'm going to be an Olympic ski jumper. This is some kind of joke, right? Dad, it's not like I'm taking up ballet. Still skiing. It's just a bit higher. You name me one, one British ski jumper. Me, Eddie Edwards. I'm going to be the squad. I mean, who's going to pay for all this, eh? I'm not having your mother put through all that again. There are bailiffs knocking on the door all hours of the day, taking away the sofa, and it's because of you, by the way, that I'm driving my camper van to work. They're dirty. Yeah, I know. We haven't had a holiday in three years, son, and your mother, she loves Blackpool. I don't like Blackpool, Terry. Dad, it's going to be OK, I promise. I'm going to work it out. He's going to break his neck. Oh, I'm going to break his neck. Do you really want to put yourself through this again? It's a world that doesn't want to know you. So what's new? Trying to tell me you never had a dream when you were a kid, Dad. Of course I did. I'm not made of stone, son. You never said. What was it? It was to be a plasterer. Bye, Dad. Yeah, bye, son. (laughs) 
Eddie Edwards was a young man who was consumed with one dream and one goal, one single passion, that was to be an Olympic athlete. Except the problem was the British Olympic Committee said there was no room for him on the, the downhill skiing team, which he was originally trying to qualify for. So then he made a turn and said, how about if I try to qualify as an Olympic ski jumper? But the, the, the Olympic Committee didn't want him. The other athletes didn't want him. And in fact, even his dad said, you'll never do it. Why are you even trying? Just give up. See, Eddie had a dream that he felt like was his destiny. It was his purpose to do something great. And everyone was saying he should give up. Everyone was saying that he was wrong. But this is what we have to understand. I want you to catch this today. Your critics don't matter. Now, it's always important for, for us, uh, especially people in leadership, to have people around us who will be a loving critic for us, someone who will help us get better, someone who has the ability to tell us no, or maybe we're going off the rails a little bit. But there's a difference, and we need to learn to differentiate in our lives the difference in the voice of someone who's trying to help us and someone who's trying to squash a God-given dream in our life. Because too many times we receive the voice of the critics and it crushes a dream that maybe God has given us or it takes away or saps us of the passion that God has given us. And I want you to know today that I believe that God's got a purpose and a vision for every per person in this room and there are gonna be critics who try to take that away. Uh, a very wise person said this not too long ago, uh, almost prophetically, but this, she said this. She said, because the players gonna play and the haters gonna hate. <laughs> Baby, I'm just gonna shake. <laughs> shake, shake. Shake, shake. I shake it off. I shake it off. That was the very wise and talented Taylor Swift, by the way, in case you didn't know. Uh, and no matter what you think of that song, no matter what you think of her, the, truth, the, the reality is there's some truth to that. No matter what you do in life, if you're attempting to do anything great for God, there are gonna be critics. And you can choose to receive what they say and it will crush you, it'll crush your dreams, it'll sap your vision, it'll sap your, your passion, or you can choose to remember what God has said and remember what God has placed in you and to pursue that. Because typically the people who are most vocal and the biggest critics of your dream are the people who have the smallest dreams in their life. The people who failed to dream for their own lives are usually the ones that wanna crush your dreams in your life. And so we can listen to them or we can choose to listen to the voice of God because the reality is the critic only has as much power as we give them. They have a lot of power when we think that their word is, is gospel, but what we have to understand is God's got a bigger truth for us than that. In Galatians chapter one, verse 10, uh, really one of my favorite verses um, in scripture, I say that a lot, I got a lot of favorites. It's like picking your favorite child. Sometimes it's easier than others, right? Um, <laughs> but I love both of my children. <laughs> Galatians 1.10 says this, Paul's writing to the Galatian church and he says, for, now, or, for am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. What Paul is saying is we have a choice. We get to please one person and it's either God or it's man. It's God or our critics. And who am I trying to keep happy? Who am I focused on pleasing? Because we only get to please one. 
See, if you think you're immune to criticism and having your dreams squashed, you're wrong. If you look throughout scripture over and over and over, we see it again and again and again and again. There was a guy named Joseph. If you're new to church or new to God or new to the Bible, <clears throat> there's a guy named Joseph. You might know him as the guy, Joseph in the coat of many colors. Um, Joseph was a guy, he literally had dreams and he shared his dreams with his brothers. And if you think your critics are rough, his critics were even worse because his brothers heard his dreams and decided they hated his dreams so much and hated him so much, they threw him in a pit and told his dad that they had been eaten, that he had been eaten by a wild animal. And if that wasn't enough, then they sold him into slavery and left him for dead. So if you think your critics are tough, remember Joseph. It doesn't matter how God-given your dream is, they're gonna be critics. Moses was a guy simply trying to do what God called him to do. Moses heard from the Lord and the Lord said, go to Egypt, I want you to set my people free. They were in captivity, they were in slavery and his goal was to get them out of slavery and take them to the promised land. That seems simple enough, right? But yet, along the way, through the wilderness, people were unhappy because they, they didn't have enough water. They didn't have enough bread. They didn't have enough meat. They were griping and complaining. This is taking too long. Are we almost there yet? Over and over and over. And finally, they got to the point and said, why don't we just find new leaders, get rid of Moses and Aaron? Why don't we get rid of them? And let's get some new leaders in here and we can go back to slavery. Aren't you thankful that Moses didn't listen to his critics? Even Jesus, uh, my pastor that I had growing up, he's a great man of God, he said this, and I, I say this to our staff a lot, but Jesus was the son of God and couldn't keep 12 guys happy all the time. How much more successful do you think you'll be keeping your house happy or your uh, division happy or the work, you know, your office happy? It's impossible. It, you just can't keep everyone happy all the time. So what you have to do is choose who you are going to keep happy. And what we have to do is choose to keep Jesus happy, keep God happy in our lives. If we're gonna please one, we have to please God. Aristotle was a Greek philosopher and he said this, criticism is something we can avoid easily by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. If you're more concerned about the critics in your life than you are about pleasing God, then the simplest way to get rid of criticism is just simply don't do anything for God. Don't attempt to do anything great for God and no one will criticize you. You just keep things the status quo and it'll be easy sailing for you. But that is not how God wired us. That's not who he created us to be. So my question for you today is, who are you trying to please? Eddie moves to Germany to begin his journey to represent Britain in the 1988 Calgary Olympics. And all he has to do is successfully land a jump in a meet. He just has to not crash when he jumps. That's all he has to do. And he finally does it. It takes a little time, but he finally does it. When he finally lands, uh, he is quickly notified by the British Olympic Committee that although he qualified, he didn't really qualify. So now he has to jump a further distance, 60 meters in order to qualify for the Olympics, which seems like an impossibility. But after a lot of work and a lot of dedication and a lot of effort, he finally lands his jump and he qualifies for the Calgary Olympics. This is when the pressure really begins for him though. With the whole world watching and virtually no shot to earn anything other than last place, Eddie attempts the very difficult 70 meter jump in the 1988 Olympics.
Britain's Michael Eddie Edwards. Come on, Eddie. Terry Love is about to jump. Come on. A relative newcomer to the sport. Not a lot of information about him. Never have experienced an atmosphere like this before, that's for sure. He's the first for me to be commentating on a British ski jumper at the Olympics, and let's hope he's the first of many. British team. Been looking all over for you. Where have you been? Uh, here, there's a problem. I tried to get into the lunch, but my name's not on the list. Oh, never mind that. There's a big press turnout, and they all want to hear your story. Wow, really? Yes. Now, you must remember to thank the British Olympic Association for all their support. That's very important. Okay. Don't be nervous. Just be yourself and try and enjoy it. Okay. ski jumping for? Nearly almost a year. I'm not sure. I haven't been counting. <laughs> I wasn't told about this. What is going on? It's press. They can't get enough of him. Get so many requests for interviews. He's a PR dream. Really? And it looks more like a nightmare. Wind it up as soon as you can. We have better things to do. 
Will you do one of your special eagle flaps for us? Well, this, this one. Eddie the Eagle Edwards has divided opinion here in Calgary. Some athletes and officials are questioning his right to be here. Hello, Eddie. Clive North, the son. Listen, there's a hairdresser in Bristol claiming that she's been your lover for the last two years. Eddie, come in. Now, Ron, as a British commentator, what are your thoughts? Well, he's earned his right to be here. Love him or hate him, you have to admire his spirit and determination. And let's not forget what the founder of the Olympic movement, Baron de Corbettin, said. The most important thing in the Olympic Games is not to win, but to take part. It's not the... I love the, uh, love the part there where he, he competes and then the press secretary comes and finds him in the lobby and says, what are you doing? All these people want to hear from you. They want to hear your story. And it's, it's funny because in the previous clip, we hear his dad say, we live in a world where nobody wants to know you. The world doesn't want to know you. And then in the next moment in this film, we see all these reporters want to hear his story. They're clamoring to find out more about Eddie Edwards. What was the difference? Was it that he was so successful? No, not at all. In fact, Eddie Edwards came in dead last in the 70-meter jump at the Olympics. And it was in last by a long shot. The eventual winner, um, uh, Matty Nikonen, beat him by four times what he jumped. So it wasn't even close. Uh, the next-to-last place finisher doubled what Eddie jumped. So they didn't care about how, his, how he, he finished. They cared about his passion, and this is what you have to understand. Your passion for what God's called you to do, it won't silence your critics. Your critics are gonna continue to be critical no matter what happens. But your passion will open up doors to tell your story. And you say, Mel, uh, why would I tell my story? Who, who am I? What kind of story do I have to tell? Well, look at Eddie. Eddie's story was important, not because of how, he, how he, successful he was, because he wasn't successful. In fact, by just about any standard, he was a failure until you take into account his passion and his effort and his dedication. And then you see what success really is. His passion opened up a door for him to share his story. And he wasn't extraordinary. He didn't achieve greatness. But what he did was he was dedicated to his sport. He loved what he did and he did it with great passion. So it opened up doors for him to share his story and tell people about who he was and what he'd experienced. What you have to understand today is, although your critics don't matter, your story matters. No matter who you are, you've got a story. And you've got a story that's valuable, that's important, and that needs to be told. You've got a story that no matter how unimportant it might seem, is important when you add passion to it. What are you passionate about? We all have things we're passionate about. If you don't believe me, talk to somebody for a few minutes. You'll find out what they're passionate about. Uh, I had people this morning, they stopped me, and the first thing they did, they wanted to talk about the, the Penn State pit game. Is there anything wrong with that? No, they're passionate about it. We, we had a family today with a new grandbaby that you couldn't pry that child out of the grandma's arms with a crowbar. It couldn't have happened. Why? Because she was passionate, right? You talk to me for a few minutes, you're gonna find out what I'm passionate about because we talk about what we're passionate about. Our passion opens up doors for us to share a story. And stories are powerful. 
In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says this, and they have conquered, when it says they, it's talking about Christians, believers, they have conquered him, and him is the enemy, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. So it's saying they were so passionate about their purpose and plan for God uh, that God had for our lives that we, were, we would follow it even to death. We would be martyred for our cause because we believe in that. We're more passionate about that than we are about our lives. Now, the good news is I'm not asking you to be a martyr for the cause of Christ today. You're like, thank goodness, because I'm not signing up for that small group, right? I'm not asking you to do that today. What I am asking you to do is simply tell your story because your story is powerful. It says here that we overcome the enemy by the, the, the blood of the lamb, which is obvious. The blood of Christ washes us, it covers us. It, it, it allows us entrance into heaven. It allows us relationship with God. And that, that's what does it for us. And you go, well, are we adding on to gospel? It says, and by the word of our testimony or by our story? And I would say not at all. Because this is what this is saying. Um, the martyrs that are gonna be killed they were able to tell their story and share their story and that is what propels them forward. The passion of their calling and their purpose allows them to endure that hardship. But more than that, even today, as we are going about our lives, the, just the busyness of our lives, uh, there are times that we're gonna encounter opposition and it might not be physical opposition like martyrdom, thank God, but it might be something as simple as maybe the enemy whispers in our ear and reminds us of something we've done in our past, remind us of a failure, remind us of something we thought or did, or a reason we should be disqualified for pursuing our passion and pursuing what God's got for us. And one of the most important things we can do is tell our story. We can tell our story to ourselves, to our enemy, and most importantly to the world, because what it does is it reminds us of where God has brought us from. We can tell the enemy, you know what, this is, that's who I used to be. I, I used to lie and cheat. I used to be an addict, I used to sleep around, I used to party, I used to be like that, but by the grace of God, Jesus freed me from that, and that is not who I am anymore. So you can remind me of my past, but I wanna tell you about who I am today. Does that make sense? There's something powerful about telling our stories. See, Jesus didn't tell statistics. Did you ever notice that in scripture? He didn't roll up to some place, and let me, let me share some, 37% of all Gentiles will blah, 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 that's not what he did. What did he do? He, he'd show up someplace, he say, hey, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about this man. Let, let me tell you about the situation. Here, here, here's a parable, let me, let me share this with you. Why did he use stories? Because stories connect in ways that statistics do not. Stories connect deeply and personally with us. If I told you today that one third of all high school students are gonna be bullied by the time they get out of high school, that's tragic, and I hate that. I, no student should be bullied. And somebody should do something about that but I'm not terribly moved by that, but, but it impacts me. But what if, what if my daughter, my 14-year-old daughter, Abby, she's in high school, pray for Abby, pray for me, pray for the boys at her high school. <laughs> we'll lay hands on them in the name of Jesus, no. What if Abby comes home from school one day and she said, Dad, uh, hey, let me, let me tell you about a situation that happened today. Man, I was sitting in lunch and uh, this boy was sitting at the table next to me. I've got him in class, and he's a, he's a really nice guy. Uh, the, these upperclassmen came over, and they started picking on him, and they were, they were calling him names, and they were cursing at him, and they, they took his stuff, and they threw him down and just started harassing him. Well, baby, what happened? Well, um, I mean, nobody stepped up. Nobody did anything. Finally, somebody went and got a teacher, and they came over, and 
you know, and here's what happened. And I would be interested. I would ask questions. But, but what if she came home and said, I said, Abby, how was your day at school? And she said, it was, it was fine. Well, what happened? Something, something wrong? Well, Daddy, I got, I got picked on today at school. In the cafeteria, these girls came over and they started calling me names. And you don't think that would connect with me differently than a statistic? This is my child, right? I really would be ready to go, go have some conversations, some harshly worded conversations with some teenage girls, right? I'm gonna stand up for my daughter. This is my daughter. It's different because I'm hearing her story than somebody else's story or statistic. Our story matters, especially in relation to the people we come into contact with. Now, sometimes we get scared to death about sharing our story and what God has done in our lives because we feel like we're gonna mess it up. We're gonna blow it. What if I get it wrong? What if I say the wrong thing? And this is the thing, you can't mess up your story. Do you know why? Because it's your story. It's your story. What you're telling is what God has done in your life. You're just sharing that, that simply. And it doesn't have to be weird. You don't have to stand up uh, in the, the cafeteria at your school or in a class at IUP or in your break room in your office and you stand up on the table and, and begin to preach, thus saith the Lord of hosts, you're all sinners and going to hell. No, it does not have to look like that. In fact, I would advise against that <laughs> strongly unless God tells you to, then okay. This is what I would encourage you to do, though, when you're sharing your story. Make it really simple. You, you slip it into conversation. So it might look like this. Hey, Bill, how's your weekend? You know, it was kind of rough, honestly. Man, you know, I told you that my wife and I have been fighting some, and uh, it looks like we're going to split up. Man, I don't know what to do. Man, I love my kids, but my wife and I have just been fighting so much. I'd like to make it work. I just don't know if we can make it work, and I just don't know what to do. Well, you know what, Bill? You know, a while back, my wife and I were having the same kind of problems. And I, I don't know what happened. I can't even explain it, but man, we, we started going to church. We're not even that religious. We started going to church and we invited God into our situation. And man, we just kind of refocused our lives. It changed everything. I, I don't even know what happened. I can't even explain it, but I just know that it made a big difference in my life. That is all you have to do to share your story. It doesn't have to be scripted. It doesn't have to be well thought out. All you're doing is telling your experience. And by the way, if you didn't go through a rough time in your marriage, don't make it up and tell your story that way. Just be honest about your story. What do you do? You just tell your story. You relate to somebody. You relate to their pain. You, you talk to them about the pain you've been through as well and how God helped you through it. And you tell your story because there's something powerful about stories. That's why Jesus told stories over and over and over. And my challenge to you is this week, I want you to tell one non-church person your story. Tell them something good that God's doing in your life. Don't make it churchy and weird. Just have a conversation like a normal human being and tell them about what God's doing in your life. But it has to be a non-church person, not even at another church, somebody who doesn't go to church. That's what I'm challenging you to do today. That he was criticized. Uh, he was having too much fun, so um, he was being criticized for making a mockery of the Olympics. And because he was competing at such a low level, uh, people didn't feel like he really belonged. And I told you earlier, Matty Nikonen quadrupled his distance on each of the jumps. Eddie knew that he wouldn't be taken seriously unless he competed in the very dangerous 90-meter jump, a jump he had never even attempted before in practice. And as he was ascending the mountain to attempt the jump, he shared an elevator with the greatest ski jumper in the world, Matty Nikonen. Hey, congratulations on your medal. I win gold, but... I didn't do my best. 
You see, if I've done my best, I can come last and be happier. Like me? You do not do good. No, I suppose not. You've done better. Yeah. Juicing can be impetronizing. No, no, no. You and I, you and I are like one o'clock and eleven o'clock. You see, we are we are closer to each other than to others. Winning, losing, all that stuff is for the little people. Men like us, we jump to free our souls. We are the only two jumpers with a chance to make history today. If we do less than our best with the whole world watching, it will kill us inside. For all time. Good luck, Matthew. Youngest world champion ever, and on his day, the most supreme jumper the sport has ever seen. Don't tell me he's freezing up. He's not much time left. Come on, Eddie. What's he doing? What's he doing up there? Must be having second thought. Surely he's going to jump. You will never be Olympic material.
to say this. Well, here goes. The eagle has landed. in competition for Edwards, 71.5 metres, and that is a new British Olympic record. So Eddie set the British Olympic record. He did what he had set out to do. Now, one of the things we didn't see in the clips today, though, is the amount of work and effort and energy and training that Eddie put in. Any Olympic athlete has to go through a tremendous amount of training and hard work they have to be terribly committed to what they're doing. They have to understand uh, innately where they want to be and what they want to do because that drives everything along the way, every decision they make. These are people that, that they train and work hard every day. They've been doing push-ups since they were a fetus. They never eat junk food. Did you see after the Olympics, some of the swimmers would finish up, they would finish competing, and they would go immediately to McDonald's and eat six Big Macs? Do you know why they did that? because they had never had a Big Mac before, or they hadn't had one in a year because they trained and they worked. Every decision they made was based on, is this going to help me fulfill my goals? Is this gonna help me get to where I wanna be? Even their decisions on, on where to live were, I need to be around a good coach, I need to be in the right training facility in order to, to get to where I wanna be. Every decision of a successful athlete's life, of an Olympic athlete's life, is based around that one idea that they want to win a gold medal. They wanna compete at a really high level. They wanna do everything that they've set out to do. They've got a passion for something and it causes them to live differently. And the reality is that their dedication matters. And I'd say the same thing to you today. Your critics don't matter, but your story matters and your dedication matters. What if, what if as Christians, we're as dedicated to the cause of Christ as Olympic athletes are to pursuing their goals? What if I was as dedicated to following Christ and pursuing him in my life and, and seeing everything that he's got for me fulfilled as an Olympic athlete is? What if I made every decision in my life, where I was gonna live, what I was gonna do, totally based on what is gonna draw me closer to God? What is gonna help uh, me get to, um, to where God wants me to be? What's gonna help me fulfill God's purposes and plans for my life? See, what happens so many times is we try to fit God in our schedule somewhere. And the reality is in the world we live in today, many times we feel pretty good about ourselves because we work in church once a week or once a month. But what we have to ask ourselves is, is that the way Christ wants this picture to be written and wants our story to be written? Or is he looking for something more than that? Because if you look at scripture, Jesus would say things like, uh, if you don't deny your mother and father, you're not worthy of being called a Christian. What he was saying is you have to understand what the most important things are. Jesus was asking for a really high commitment level from us. He'd say things like, you have to take up your cross and follow me. That does not sound like an easy gospel to me. It, asks, it sounds to me like he's asking for a high level of dedication, a very high level of commitment from us. And that's what God is looking for. It was interesting, Jesus was having a conversation with religious people. I've said this before, Jesus never had problems with sinners. He always had problems with religious people though somehow. I don't understand how that works. Jesus was having a conversation with some religious people 
And in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to, uh, stood up to put him to the test, putting Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How, how do you read it? And the lawyer answered and said, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So, so what is it that the lawyer said? The lawyer said, love God with everything we are, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every fiber of us, love God and pursue God with a passion that is unmatched by anything else. And he said, that's what we're supposed to do and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you nailed it. That's it. Do this and you'll live. And I really believe he wasn't just talking about eternal life. He wasn't just talking about heaven someday. I really believe in my heart he's talking about here on planet earth. Do you wanna really live? Do you really wanna get everything out of this life that you can? Because this is the thing, I wanna wring this life out. I wanna get everything out of this life that I possibly can. If, if I've got 80 years on planet earth, which might be generous, if I've got 80 years, I wanna live a, every day of that 80 years to the max. I wanna get everything out of it that I possibly can. So what does that mean? Well, I think what Jesus is trying to help us understand is this is not just a plan for someday. How do you get to heaven? But it's how do we experience true life on earth? Well, how do we experience it? Well, we experience true life by saying, God, I wanna pursue you with everything I am with my heart, with my soul, with my mind, with my strength. I want everything in my life to be focused on you. I wanna love people really well, God. If I can do those things, I'm gonna know what it means to really live. I'm gonna know what it means to get the most out of this life. Because that's what God's asking us to do. How do we live? Well, we put others first. We put God first in our life. 2 Timothy chapter four, uh, Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy was one of his closest friends and he writes this letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Uh, it's at the end of his life. Uh, he's in prison, house arrest, and he's writing this letter and he knows he's getting close to the end of his life. And he says this in verse seven of 2 Timothy four. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Did you notice what he said? He said, I fought the good fight. Did you notice he didn't say, I, I won the good fight? Also, he says, I've finished the race. He didn't say, I won the race. Now, now, some scholars will say, well, it's clear that he won because he got a crown of righteousness. Well, that's different than the victor's crown that the winner of a race would win. The winner of a race would get a, a crown of a wreath and they would put it on their head and that wreath would, would eventually wither and die. And that's not what Paul got. He got a crown of righteousness. That's what he's talking about in heaven. And this is what he says. He says, I fought the good fight and I finished the race. I've ran this race as hard as I could. I knew what God was calling me to do and I set out on that path and I stayed in my lane and I ran that race. Even when it was hard, even when I wanted to give up, even when there were critics, even when people said I couldn't, I continued to run. And though, although there were times that I thought I wasn't gonna make it, I was faithful and I was dedicated to the purpose and plan that God had for me. And because I was faithful, because I ran that race to the end, 
I received a reward. It was a, right, a crown of righteousness. How do we succeed? It's not by winning or accumulating the most stuff or being the first. We win by being faithful to what God's asked us to do. We win and we succeed when we are faithful to pursue God's purposes and plans for our lives. So my question to you today is simply this. Are you giving God your best? Are you giving God what's left? Are we squeezing him into our schedule where we can find him? Are we dedicated to the purposes and plans that God's got for us? Are we dedicated? Is every fiber of our being dedicated to pursuing God and his plans for us and his plans for this world? Because I'm telling you something. If I, and if you would begin to love our lives that way, this town would change. This county would change. This region would change. We would change our world. And this is not just hyperbole. This is true. What if we began to do that? I'm telling you today, it's gonna change your marriage. It's gonna change your family. It's gonna change your lineage if we choose to be truly dedicated to everything that God has for us. So I'm telling you today, your critics don't matter, but your story matters and your dedication matters. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you love us. And Lord, I thank you that, um, Lord, when criticism comes our way, Lord, we can listen to your voice and we can hear what you've spoken to us and what you've called us to. Lord, for those here today that are pursuing a dream and pursuing their passion and they're dealing with criticism, God, I pray that you let them hear your voice. Lord, those here that are trying to make a change in their life, they're trying to begin to walk with you, but Lord, they're they're struggling because of criticism in their life. Lord, I pray that you just help them stand firm under the criticism, help them to remember who they're trying to please. Lord, I pray for those here that are hesitant to share their story, God. Give us a holy boldness and an authority to share our story without fear, without worrying. God, I pray that you'd help us share our story boldly and passionately. Because Lord, we know that our passion opens up doors for us to share our story. And God, I pray today that uh, you'd help us be people who are fully, wholly dedicated to you. Lord, let us not be a people who just squeeze you into our schedule whenever we can, but God, let us be people who are truly dedicated to your purposes and plans for us, for our lives, for the lives of the people around us as well. And God, I pray as we begin to make this shift and see you work in our lives, God, I pray it would change everything. It would change our families, it would change our relationships, it would change this church, it would change this community. Lord, let us change the world and let it be for your glory. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what? Um, I don't even think I'm really in a relationship with God. I don't think I'm really following God. You're talking about being fully dedicated to Jesus, but the truth is, I don't know that I'm really walking with him at all right now. Maybe you're here today and you don't know, but you know for sure something's not right. And you wanna begin that journey. You wanna make things right with God. You wanna begin to walk with Jesus on this pathway. If that's you, I'm not gonna make you come forward. I just wanna pray with you. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you right where you are. So if you're here today and you say, that's, that's me, Mel. I want you to pray with me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. Would you be bold enough? Just slip your hand up real high where I can see it, acknowledge it, and then you can put your hand right back down. Is there anybody here? You say, that's me. Pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life today.
Maybe you're here today and you're walking with Christ. You, you're, you're a Christian. You know you're going to heaven, but you're here today and you know, man, maybe you struggle with criticism, listening to the wrong voices in your life. Maybe you're here today and you struggle sharing your story. Maybe you're here today and you just realize you're not dedicated like you need to be. If that's you, again, with nobody looking around, would you be bold enough to say that's me? Pray for me. Slip your hand up real high if it was any of those things. Yeah, yeah, a lot of us. A lot of us. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much that you're dedicated to us, that you didn't give us a piece or a little. You gave us everything when you gave us your son. So God, I pray today we would reciprocate that and we would live generously with you, Lord, not just financially, but God, in every aspect of our life, God, let us live open-handedly that everything we are and everything we have is yours. So God, I pray that you would capture our hearts and let us love you and pursue you with every fiber of our being. God, give us the passion to share our stories with people that desperately need to hear our stories and be encouraged. God, I pray today that we would silence the voice of the critics in our lives and only listen to your voice when it comes to who we are and what you're calling us to be. God, I pray that we would live our lives for an audience of one, to please you and you alone. So God, I pray for every person in this place, you'd help us become the people of God that you want us to be so we can see the work of God done in our community, in our world, in our homes, in our workplaces, God. We love you and we thank you for your presence in this place. We give you glory for it. In your name we pray, amen. Now listen, this is what's gonna happen right now. Our worship team's gonna lead us in one final song. As they do, our prayer team is available on either side of the stage. So if you need prayer for any reason at all, as soon as we begin to sing, step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members, let them pray with you. In just a moment, Steph McCoy's gonna come up. She's gonna close us out and, uh, and finish us up and dismiss us in just a moment. But guys, I want you to know sincerely, I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. Stay to your feet. Let's worship together one more time before we go. God bless you.